Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Now, without further ado, let's start the show. Monday Night Raw. First thing to note, they would note on commentary that multiple wrestlers were not on the show because of flight delays. I don't know what type of flight delays they were, probably weather, because I don't know what's going around at the beginning of the week, but there were probably some weather delays or something happened, but a lot of wrestlers were not on the show that were previously supposed to be on the show, but we would still have a good Monday Night Raw, and to open up, we would have Rey Mysterio coming down to the ring. Rey would talk about last week going into the Hall of Fame, competing against Dominic at WrestleMania, and all the emotions that came from that last week, and Dominic would come out and tell Rey to quit talking about him. When Ray is all about himself, Don will talk about how he would have beaten Ray Mysterio at WrestleMania if it wasn't for Bad Bunny. Ray will tell Don that he spoke to Bad Bunny about what they did to him last week by putting him through a table. And he tells Dom that Bad Bunny is going to come back and Judgment Day is going to learn that they shouldn't have touched Bad Bunny. Ray will then challenge Dom to a match right now, but Don will tell Ray that he isn't going to fight his dad, but he knows someone else that will. And then out walks Finn Balor. So we have a match with Rey Mysterio versus Finn Balor with Dominic in Finn's corner. Finn would win the match by pinfall thanks to interference from Dominic. When the referee was looking after Finn, Dom would get on the ring apron and hit Rey Mysterio with a chain wrapped around in his fist. And this would allow Finn to go up to the top turnbuckle and hit a coup de grace for the win. So as I said before, last week, not a good week for the Judgment Day except for Rhea Ripley when she became the SmackDown Women's Champion. But... They're starting to gain some momentum back after winning the tag match against Ray and Santos on SmackDown last week. And now right here with Finn beating Ray Mysterio here. So again, Judgment Day is starting to build momentum. Now after this, we have the Women's Tag Team Championship matchup of the challengers Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez going against the champions Becky and Trish Stratus. It was originally supposed to be Becky and Lita, but they would show footage of Lita being attacked earlier in the night, but nobody knows who did it to her. So instead of Becky defending the title on her own, Trish would step up and take Lita's place and help Becky defend the titles. But in the end, Liv and Raquel will become your new women's tag team champions when Trish would go for the chick kick on Liv Morgan, but Liv would duck it and then roll Trish up for the win. Now after the match, Liv and Raquel were out of the ring and up the ramp. Trish was sitting down looking disappointed. Becky would get in the ring, help Trish up to her feet, Tell her it's okay. They will hug multiple times again and let Trish know it's okay. It's okay. And as they are raising each other's hands up in the air and Becky's about to leave the ring, Trish would attack Becky from behind. Now Trish is beating up on Becky. And then once Becky gets up, Trish will lay her out with a chick kick. And she was saying some words to Becky, but we don't really catch it on the microphone. So again, we have now Trish turning her back on uh Becky here and more likely Trish is going to admit next week that she attacked Lita and she attacked Becky for jealousy reasons that's more likely where we're going to end up with here and I'm glad for it because you know what Trish her and Lita having a rivalry let her do it let her have it this brings back old uh early 2004-2005 rivalry between Trish and Lita and I'm cool with that but if we're only going to get Becky and uh, Trish out of it, that's still cool because Becky, she got her uh, wish to go against Lita last year. She did that. And now she finally gets to go against Trish. This will be another uh, notch on Becky's belt to have. So 
that's a good thing to have for Becky, personally. I'm not mad at this uh, situation. That's where we're going with this. And hopefully we get a nice little uh, match between the two at Backlash. At least that's where I think this thing should end off with. Now, next up was Cody Rhodes. Cody will come out to the ring and talk about uh, taking responsibility for losing to Roman Reigns at WrestleMania, letting people down, letting the fans down. Cody will talk about hearing two things that really stuck with him since last week. One was some advice that he got from his friend Matt. I'm thinking he's talking about Matt Cardona because Cody's real close with Matt Cardona, formerly known as uh, Zack Ryder. And he talks about how Matt talked to him by saying, you were in the main event of WrestleMania, and does wins and losses even matter? Cody would say that wins and losses does matter. The only people that don't think it matters are Hall of Famers and people that already uh, hit the peak of their careers. And the second thing that stuck to him was something that Paul Heyman said last week, is that Cody has to earn it to get another shot at Roman Reigns. Cody would say that he is it. He is the whole package. So Cody, obviously doesn't like the whole idea of not earning it, but saying that he has to earn it, that word it. Cody has left WWE. He's made his own uh, situation outside of WWE. He came back. He's done everything he can. So Cody feels that he is it. So he has no idea what Paul's technically talking about here. So then Cody will switch over to talking about Brock Lesnar and Brock turning on him last week. Cody will talk about the many reasons why Brock attacked him. And one, he wasn't happy about his spot at WrestleMania opening up the show. Two, he doesn't get the hype around Cody. And three, Cody changed the way the game is played in that it kind of screws things up for Brock. Meaning that, again, it goes back to Cody leaving WWE. He's creating an alternative in AEW. And now people actually can go other places instead of going to WWE. And they can kind of screw up Brock's uh, money flow here. Which I don't think it would because why would it screw him up? It just makes WWE pay more top dollar for Brock Lesnar. But I digress. Uh, Cody would say that it doesn't change anything and that he still wants to fight Brock Lesnar. Yeah, he might be afraid of Brock, but he still wants to fight him. So he will throw out the challenge to fight Brock at Backlash. And next week we will get the answer because Brock will be appearing on Raw next week. Now after this, we have the Usos going against the Alpha Academy. The Usos would win the match by pinfall when the Usos would hit a double super kick on Chad Gable, then finish him off with the 1D for the win. After this, we had a triple threat match where the winner will be going against Bianca Belair for the Raw Women's Championship. It'll be Io Sky with Dakota Kai and Bailey in her corner, going against Piper Niven, going against Mia Yim. Io would win the match by pinfall, becoming a new number one contender by hitting Mia Yim with the moonsault as Mia was covering Piper Niven after hitting her with Eat Defeat. So, Io is now your new number one contender, and she's going to be going against Bianca Belair. This is a good thing. This is going to start showing the cracks in uh, damage control. And it already started to show earlier in the night because you saw Bailey coming out of Adam Pierce's office, and Bailey told both Io and Dakota that he spoke with Adam Pierce and that he wasn't that she wasn't able to get them another a women's tag team championship opportunity, but uh, Bailey was able to get herself in that triple threat match for the number one contender shot. And you will see both Dakota and EO being upset by this. And they were talking about how Bailey already had their uh, her opportunity. And why don't one of those two get an opportunity at it? So you will see Bailey go back in, and that's how EO was in this uh, spot here. So now with EO becoming a new number one contender for the Raw Women's Championship, you can see Bailey probably going to get upset that EO is probably going to be able to do something that she couldn't do. And I see Bailey probably screwing up 
EO's chances of winning the Raw Women's Championship, and that would actually cause the main split and damage control all over Jealousy. But we'll have to wait and see how that story plays out, and if it does play out when that match happens between EO and Bianca. Now, after this, we have the main event. Kevin Owens going against Solo Cole with the Usos in Solo's corner. Solo would win the match by a pinfall, thanks to Usos' distractions, when Jimmy Uso would get on the ring apron, distract the referee, and Jay Uso would super kick Kevin Owens. Then you would see Solo grab Kevin, hit him with a Samoan spike, cover him for the win. Now, after the match, the Usos and Solo would beat up on Kevin, and they would beat him up, so until Matt Riddle and Sami Zayn basically come down to make the save. Now, you see Sami Zayn and Matt Riddle beat up on the Usos by the ringside, well, the ring entrance ramp. They get in the ring, then they go up against Solo. They end up beating up on Solo, and then they make him retreat out of the ring. And now you have the Usos with Solo on the entrance ramp, and you have Kevin Owens, Matt Riddle, and Sami Zayn in the ring. So this shows you that dichotomy that we have here. Even though Randy Orton is still out right now, this still shows that the Bloodline has made a whole lot of enemies. And again, the Bloodline do not hold all the titles like they did uh, last year. And it's still on shaky grounds. Bloodline's still on shaky grounds. We got to see how that turns out. But eh, that's how Raw ends with the Bloodline of the Usos and Solo on the ramp. While Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, and Matt Riddle stand in the middle of the ring. Also, I forgot one match. We had Bobby Lashley going against Bronson Reed here, and that match would end in a no contest when both men were fighting outside of the ring, and the referee counted both men out, so it ended in a uh, ring out. Now, after the match, you see both men continue to brawl, and it wouldn't end until they were separated by backstage personnel, and I like this match. It was nothing but two big guys just beating up on each other, and hopefully their next match that they have is a false count anywhere match so they can uh, do battle all across the building, but we'll have to wait and see with that uh, ever happening. And I probably will see it happening soon. It just hasn't been announced. So with that being said, now that is your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to NXT. First thing to note, next week on NXT, we will have a North American Championship matchup where Wesley will be defending the championship against Charlie Dempsey. Also, Roxanne Perez will be going against Zoe Stark. Now, NXT will start off with NXT champion Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams coming to the ring. Mello would say that he understands why Braun Breaker attacked him last week. is because Braun is still feeling salty about losing the NXT Championship to him at WrestleMania weekend. And also, the fans do not want Braun Breaker as their number one guy anymore. They want Mello as that guy. So Mello would say that he knows how Braun is feeling, and he would offer Braun a spot in the Fatal 4-Way match later tonight, where the winner of the Fatal 4-Way match will be going against Mello at Spring Breaking for the NXT Championship. But Dragon Lee will come out and tell Mello that he understands Mello wants Braun at Spring Breaking, but it will be him that will be facing Mello at the event. Then JD McDonough and Grayson Waller will come out, and they will say the identical same thing, noting that they will be in the Fatal 4-Way match. So at this moment, we have JD... Grayson Waller, and Dragon Lee, and we have to wait and see if Braun Breaker would accept that invitation. After this, we got our first matchup of the night for the NXT Women's Tag Team Championships. It will be the challengers, Keanu James and Fallon Henley, with Josh Briggs in their corner, going against Alba Fire and Isla Dawn. Isla Dawn and Alba Fire would retain their championships thanks to Brooks Jensen, when Jensen would run down to the ring and grab Keanu's purse and try to hand it to Fallon. Fallon would not take the purse and start fussing at Brooks, and this will lead to the referee turning around and throw Brooks out of the ring. And when Brooks is outside of the ring, Briggs will go over and check on Brooks. And Brooks will shove Briggs to the ground. 
Now, Fallon would see all this and then turn around to get hit with a heel kick from Isla Dawn and then fall prey to a backstabber swanton combo from both Isla Dawn and Alba Fire for them to retain their NXT Women's Tag Team Championships. So the dissension within the group of Keanu James, Briggs and Jensen and Fallon are continuing on here and it seems that Brooks has decided to side himself with Keanu James on wanting to do anything to win a match while Briggs and Fallon are not on that uh, wavelength with them. Now, after this, we have Chase U's uh, ceremony for Duke Hudson, giving him the Chase U MVP award for him basically being the guy to help Chase U win the match against Schism at Stand and Deliver. Duke Hudson would give a fake, modest acceptance speech, but you could sense all the fake just simply oozing out of him as he's speaking. Braun Breaker, he would appear from the stands and interrupt it. Braun would state that he doesn't need the acceptance of the people and call them scumbags, and Braun would say that People have been asking him whether he's going to be in that fatal four-way match later tonight, and Braun will say no because he realizes that the NXT Championship is a curse in the history of Braun Breaker. So Braun would extend the invitation out to Duke Hudson to take his spot, and Duke would accept it by shaking Braun's hand. Now, once he does this, you will see Duke talking with Andre Chase because Andre still doesn't trust Braun Breaker here, and Duke's trying to just tell Andre that it's all right, we're good. Braun would turn towards rope and it looks like he's about to leave the ring, but he instead turns around and he looks to spear Duke Hudson, but you can see Duke pull Andre Chase in front of him, so Andre would eat the spear. Duke Hudson will look at that and then look at his MVP trophy and then grab it and run out of the ring, and that's what we have here. Duke is starting to finally show everyone that he is truly a narcissist, and he probably has some real underlining plans for Chase U, probably just to... Uh, prop him up into a spotlight, a spotlight that he never was in before, before he joined Chase U. So we're going to have to wait and see how this uh, story will end. After this, we have Eddie Thorpe going against Javier Bernal with Damon Kemp on the apron. Well, not the apron, the entrance ramp watching the match. Eddie would win the match by pinfall by hitting a spinning double underhook slam, the same move that uh, Angelo Dawkins would use from time to time. So I feel that that's Eddie's new finisher here. And it's not a bad finish for Eddie to have. So that's what Eddie would use to win the matchup here. So it seems that Damon Kemp and Eddie are a match that's going to happen soon because why else would Damon Kemp be on the entrance ramp just watching the matchup here? So again, they didn't announce it, but that's something to probably look forward to next week on NXT maybe. After this, we have Tiffany Stratton going against Sol Ruka. Tiffany would win the match by pinfall when Tiffany would catch Sol Ruka's clothesline and put Sol Ruka on her shoulder and hit it with a steamroller and then finish her off with the best moon soul ever to win said match. I like seeing Tiffany versus Sol Ruka here. You could tell the complete uh, athleticism between those two and also the gymnastic factor. They would uh, cartwheel the cartwheel uh, moonsault counter out of moonsault counter to each other's. And this is showing you what their... Uh, that within the next couple years of them developing, because remember NXT is still the developmental brand in both Sol Ruka and Tiffany Stratton, they have no like wrestling background technically, that they're on the fast track of being the women to be propped up for the NXT women's division, and that you can see with more seasoning, with more experience underneath their belts, I can see WWE literally putting the Rockets on both of their back, and those two just like being the two top women, along with Roxanne and... Uh, Indy and even Alira Valkyria and Zoe Starks when they go to the main roster to carry like the women's division into the future. 
So I like this matchup here so that they could play this back when the, those two women do go against each other on the main roster, that they can say, look at where they have come, look how far they come, basically. After this, we had Cora Jade coming down to the ring. Cora would talk about returning to NXT last week and seeing the women's division upside down, and it's time to humble some people. Cora will start trash-talking the top ladies of the division. She'll start with Zoe Starks, then move down to Roxanne Perez, then Gigi Dolan, then Tiffany Stratton, then Lyra Valkyria, and then finally the new NXT Women's Champion, Indy Hartwell. Then Lyra Valkyria will come out and ask Cora Jade if she is jealous because while Cora was gone, the NXT Women's Division took a step forward instead of, instead of a step back. Lyra will let Cora know that if Cora even comes close to the NXT Women's Championship, Lyra is going to rip Cora's eyes out, and this would make Cora slap Lyra. Now, you will see Cora try to slap Lyra again, but she, her hand will get caught, and you will see Lyra kick Cora Jade in the chest, and she will try to go for a spinning heel kick, but Cora Jade would duck it and basically roll out of the ring. So a program with Lyra Valkyria and Cora Jade is in the works, and I'm good for that, and I'm happy for that because guess what? Lyra is, again, one of those females that came over from the uh, brand, not going to say extension, but since NXT UK got like demolished and they're trying to rebrand themselves, I'm glad that Lyra's here because I don't know what it is about her, but she has something that she's going to be a top star, at least in NXT, if they build her up the right way. And I see it. So with her going against Cora Jade, a person that you see that they have a lot of plans for Cora Jade. I like that Lyra's getting this uh, spotlight. So the program between these two, I feel is going to be good. After this, we had Elia Dragunov going against Von Wagner with Mr. Stone in his corner. And the stipulation is if Von Wagner loses, Mr. Stone is no longer a manager to Von Wagner. Ilya would win the match by pinfall when Ilya would hit Von Wagner with a torpedo headbutt for the win. And now the partnership between Mr. Stone and Von Wagner is over. Now after the match, Dijak will come down to the ring and essentially tell Ilya Dragunov that he's the next victim on his list. So Ilya going against uh, Dijak, I feel that's coming and I feel that's going to be a good match between those two. Because Dijak, he's been looking for an opportunity, and he's been given nothing but opportunities, him versus Wes, and now him versus uh, Ilya. I feel that's going to be a good match for these two. And also, again, it's going to let people know who Ilya is and let the top brass in NXT see that Ilya is one of the one of those guys that you could put either the NXT Championship on him or the NXT North American Championship on him, and he's going to carry that title to prestige. So either way it goes, I'm going to... Uh, Look forward to that matchup when it gets announced. Now, the next matchup was Joe Coffey with Gallus in his corner going against Tank Ledger. Tank Ledger is a new uh, debuting wrestler in NXT. He has no wrestling experience. He is a former college football player, so he is now in WWE here. Um, Joe Coffey would win the match by pinfall by hitting him with two rolling clotheslines for the win. Tank Ledger, he had a good debut match against Joe Coffey. He was able to show off what he can do and again NXT developmental we know what it's about you're going to build up people into the way they need to become the top guys or become people that you need for them to be on your screens and for me I feel that Tank Ledger he has uh the makings to be one of those guys on NXT the same thing with him and Hank Walker Hank Walker another guy that he was under the tutelage of Drew uh Gulak for a minute in NXT, and with that 
happening. You can see Hank Walker getting better and better. And I could just see the same thing happening with Tank Ledger as time goes around and him being in the ring more on television. You can see that he's going to get better and get better. And hopefully we might even see a Tank uh, Ledger and uh, Hank Walker team up because, again, they had a backstage uh, segment before uh, Tank came out where Hank was like congratulating Tank to uh, have a match here. And you could just tell those two have a camaraderie with each other. And hopefully we get a team with these two. Just a feel-good team of two former college football players, now in NXT, now in WWE, doing something. So, uh, yeah, I'm hoping that's what we get. But, again, Tank Ledger, he had a good match here with Joe Coffey. Joe Coffey, obviously being the veteran here, he had to lead Tank into a good match. But you can still see the promise that Tank is going to uh, make when he gets more seasoning underneath his uh, belt. Now, after the match, you will see the Creed brothers running down to the ring and attack Gallus. You see Schism come down and join in on the action, and it was made official that next week Gallus will be defending their NXT Tag Team Championships against the Creed Brothers and the Dyad in a triple threat tag team matchup. Now we're off to the main event, a fatal four-way matchup where the winner will be facing Carmelo Hayes at spring break-in. It is Duke Hudson, Grayson Waller, Dragon Lee, and JD McDonough. Grayson Waller would win the match by pinfall when Dragon Lee would hit Duke Hudson with a powerbomb and cover him for the win, but Grayson Waller would roll in the ring and hit Dragon Lee with a rolling stunner, and then cover Duke Hudson for the win. So, Grayson Waller is your winner, and he will be facing Carmelo Hayes in two weeks for the NXT Championship. And you know what? They're going to have a good match, because last year at, I believe it was NXT's um, Great American Bash, Grayson Waller challenged Carmelo Hayes for the North American Championship, and they had a great match. I believe that match was a match of said night. And I believe that spring breaking, we're going to have another match tonight between those two, because again, those two, they gained another year's worth of knowledge underneath their belt. And for me, I feel that with Carmelo having the uh, top championship in NXT, the NXT Championship, He's going to want to really show out, since this is his first uh, defense on television, you're going to see him just really rock out. And with Grayson, this is his first, no, not his first. This will be his third time trying to go after the uh, championship. And I feel that he wants to prove something against Carmelo, and he wants to prove something to the back people that's actually like running the show to say that he could be the top guy for NXT, you just got to give him the ball and let him try it. So I feel that Grayson is going to come in with a lot of uh, vigor and he's going to want to win wholeheartedly. So again, I feel that in the next two weeks, those two are going to have a real uh, barn butter of a match. So with that, that is your NXT wrestling highlights of the week. Now moving over to AEW Dynamite. First thing to note, Jay White and Juice Robinson, they are now called Bullet Club Gold. This is just another sub-faction of the Bullet Club stable that's in New Japan, and this is going to be real interesting because Forbidden Door is coming up, I believe, in June, and David Finley is the newest uh, leader of Bullet Club, and he kind of kicked Jay White out back in February, March-ish. So it's going to be real interesting to see how David Finley uh, deals with this whenever uh, Forbidden Door comes around. And if it never happens, I feel that this is a complete missed opportunity for that uh, situation to come about with David Finley and uh, Jay White, but I digress. I just want to let you guys know, Juice Robinson and Jay White, they are now known as Bullet Club Gold. Now, the first matchup on Dynamite would be Darby Allen going against Swerve Strickland. Darby would win the match by pinfall by using the Last Supper pinning maneuver to keep Swerve's uh, shoulders to the mat. 
These two had a great matchup to start off AEW Dynamite. And then after the match, you would hear from the AEW World Champion, MJF, as he comes down to the ring. MJF would give kudos to Darby for his match that he just had, but tells Darby that he isn't the wrestler that MJF is. Because MJF is the heavyweight champion, and he has beaten Darby Allen with a headlock takeover at Full Gear 2021. So you see MJF trying to poke the bear with Darby by mentioning that. He says that Darby isn't the guy to take the heavyweight title away from him. Then you will see Darby ask MJF, is he happy with his life? Because on the outside, MJF has everything material-wise. But on the inside, he sees MJF as someone that isn't happy. Someone that doesn't have morals. He would tell MJF that he needs to see therapy because it does wonders. MJF will reply telling Darby that his morals are the reason he isn't going to be at the top of the mountain. The same way that MGF is because MGF doesn't have morals and MGF is willing to do whatever it takes to reach the top, unlike Darby Allen. And he will tell Darby that at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, MGF will be known as the greatest of all time, while Darby Allen will be known as Sting's bitch. Remember, that's MGF words, not mine. So as soon as you mention Sting's name, I'll walk Sting to the ring. Sting will play mind games with MGF by throwing pom poms at MJF. Because MGF keeps on saying that Darby is uh, Sting's child and Sting's nothing but Darby's like father playing cheerleader. Sting would name drop Cody and that's someone that was supporting MGF when he first came into AEW the same way that Sting has been supporting Darby Allen. But MGF turned on Cody and Darby hasn't done that to Sting. So Sting would tell MGF that his hunger for the championship gold doesn't exist anymore. He's an old guy and he's about to retire, but Darby Allen, he has hunger and he will be the next AEW World Champion. And Darby would basically say the same thing next to uh, MGF and MGF would uh, spit in Darby's face, then leave the ring in a hurry. I did not like the spitting aspect. I think that spitting in somebody's face is kind of kind of done with now. We should be done with that. We just had COVID. What? literally three years ago where people were not trying to touch each other. They weren't trying to do none of that type of crap. I think that spinning should be one of the parts of the job of wrestling that we leave in the past until we actually got to be real, real disrespectful. MGF's whole character, I get it. He's a disrespectful guy, but I want that spit to actually mean something like, you know, an ass kicking is coming directly after that. But we didn't get that here. MGF was able to worm his way completely out of the ring. So hopefully we get that type of beat down somewhere down the line with Darby and MJF. Now, after this, we had the TNT Championship matchup of Silas Young going against champion Powerhouse Hobbs with QT Marshall and his company in Hobbs' corner. Hobbs would win the match in quick fashion by hitting a spine buster, then uptown business for the win. Now, after the match, QT and Hobbs would drag Silas up the ramp, and they will see on the screen, Warlow would be in the parking lot, and you will see Warlow destroying Hobbs' new car. So Hobbs will see this, he become pissed off, and Hobbs will look to powerbomb Silas Young off the stage through a table that's on the um, side of the stage. But that doesn't happen because Warlow's music would hit, and Warlow would come out, and now you see Hobbs and Warlow start getting into it. QT would wave for people to come out, and you will see Enhancement Talent come out to the stage, but they would get destroyed by both Hobbs and Warlow. Then you see backstage officials come out, and they will separate both of them. Aaron Solo would hop on the back of Warlow, and this would allow QT to take Powerhouse Hobbs to the back. Warlow would toss Solo off of his back, 
and then he would powerbomb Solo off the stage through a table. So, again, this rivalry between Powerhouse Hobbs and Warlow is building more and more. We're probably going to get another rematch for the TNT Championship. I'm glad we get Warlow back on the screen here. He's been gone for, what, two, three weeks now? So I'm glad to see Warlow back on the television screen, personally. And I just want this whole feud between Warlow and Hobbs to end so both of them can go off to do separate things. Now, the next matchup was for the AEW International Championship. It is Buddy Matthews with Julia Hart in his corner challenging the champion, Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy would retain his championship by using the mousetrap pinion maneuver on Buddy to retain his championship. And they had a good matchup here. Um, Orange, he tried to use the orange uh, punch, but he couldn't really use it that much, or he couldn't use it to his full full strength because he had his um, hand wrapped up, and Buddy Matthews would easily take advantage of it by stomping on uh, Orange's hand from time to time, punching Orange's hand from time to time. But Orange will be able to hit the orange punch on Buddy Matthews. And this was a good uh, spotlighting for Buddy. And also for Orange Cassidy. Because as I said before in like weeks, uh, episodes before, Orange Cassidy, every person that he's been defending that international championship against, the matches have been different. Each match has been different because of the different uh, individual. So each match, each title defense has not been the same. And it's been a good... Uh, showing a standout for Orange Cassidy. And I like that we're getting this from Orange Cassidy. So it still puts the big question mark of who's going to take the international championship off of him. And for Buddy Matthews here, this was just a good showing for him because he doesn't really get to show off his wrestling ability that much on television that much. Same thing with the rest of the members of the House of Black. I think out of all the House of Black members, I think, to be honest with you, uh, Brody King probably got more TV matches on his belt in AEW than both Buddy and Malachi. That just means going off the top of my head. So for Buddy to get this opportunity here, I like that personally. And I hope more members of House of Black and I hope we get to see more of House of Black as a whole entire stable just be on AEW Dynamite or just on AEW television in general. Now, after this, we have Ethan Page coming down to the ring and he would talk about the firm's recent losses as of late with Matt Hardy turning his back on him in his match with Hook for the FEW Championship last week. So Ethan will call out Matt Hardy to see why he did what he did and what type of stipulation or what he put into that contract that Ethan signed. So Matt Hardy and Isaiah Cassidy will come out and Matt will tell Ethan that he is the biggest hole of an ass that he has ever seen and dealt with. Matt will tell Ethan that the contract had a stipulation in it that it said that if Hook was to beat Ethan, then Matt Hardy and Private Party are out from underneath the control of the firm. But they're still under contract with the firm. So this will lead to the next stipulation that Matt Hardy gets to pick a match where he and Private Party will go against Ethan and the firm. And if they win, they will be done with their contract with the firm. Ethan will let Matt know that there are more people in the firm than just Ethan Page and Stokely. So this will lead to Big Bill and Lee Moriarty attacking Matt Hardy and Isaiah Cassidy from behind. So Matt and Isaiah will get beat up until Hook comes down to try to make the save. And at first, Hook would be able to take control of everybody and beat up on everyone until the firm's numbers were too much for Hook and the firm just starts beating up on Hook. Now the firm's in control of the whole entire beatdown. They're beating up on Hook. They're beating up on Matt Hardy. They're beating up on Isaiah Cassidy. And then... The Hardy's music would hit, and Jeff Hardy would run down to the ring. So we now have a returning Jeff Hardy. He comes down with a chair. He beats up on uh, Ethan Page. He beats up on Big Bill with a chair. 
Matt Hardy would hit Lee Moriarty with a twist of fate, and Jeff Hardy would follow it up with a swanton bomb. And that's what we have here. The Hardys are reunited once again in AEW, and Jeff Hardy's back in AEW. Um, I'm glad Jeff Hardy's back. I just want Jeff Hardy to be safe, first and foremost. That's all I ever care about. He's a old season style wrestler he's a whole hell of a lot of a daredevil i think that's what's going to be remembered about jeff hardy's whole entire career one that he was cared and loved by the fans but two i think that his daredevil antics will be remembered and i'm not certain how much jeff hardy's body is holding up wrestlers bodies are never ever at 100 percent ever because they always like take punishment on their bodies for going into the ring and doing what they're doing but jeff by being a high flyer and a daredevil and a risk taker, he does a lot more damage to his body than a natural, like normal standard wrestler here. And you got to imagine Jeff's been doing this for what? Almost 30 years, but on television for a good solid 25 years on TV doing what he's been doing. And Jeff, you know, his problems. We know his personal demons because it's been in the news has been, covered everywhere i just want jeff to be okay because i'm not certain how many times he's going to be able to get away with certain things just because he's jeff hardy and that the people love him i understand people in the backstage love him people want to see jeff be okay that's what everybody majority cares about so i hope jeff is all right i hope jeff is getting the uh training and the type of uh help that he needs for his body and also for him to be okay mentally and physically because that's um something that Jeff needs and I hope that he's stays on this positive road because you could tell whenever he made his return that he felt the energy from the people and when he hugged his brother Matt it was really emotional to him so again I'm hoping that Jeff stays on this positive uh, path here but only time will tell but for now I'm glad to see Jeff Hardy back and again I hope that he's a uh, good now, after this, we have a tag team match of John Moxley and Claudio with Willie Uta in their corner going against Brandon Cutler and Michael Nakazawa. The match would go to a no contest when Claudio and Mox would just beat up on Brandon and Nakazawa. Both Brandon and Nak are bleeding from the face. Uh, Mox will get a mic and ask, where are the elite? So with that, Kenny Omega's music would hit and Kenny would stand on the ramp. Mox would tell Uta and Claudio that he has this as Kenny would wave to him to bring it. This was a orchestrated plan so the Young Bucks could run into the ring behind Claudio and Yuta and hit them with a super kick. Kenny would hit Moxley with a V-trigger, then throw him into the ring, and then you see Kenny start pounding on Mox, then leave the ring to go underneath the ring to grab something. The Young Bucks would hit Mox with a BTE trigger, and then we would see Kenny pull out an equipment box. Kenny was looking to hit Moxley with that equipment box, but Matt Jackson would stop Kenny and pull out a flathead screwdriver. This is the same flathead screwdriver that Brian Danielson used on Hangman Page last week when the Blackpool Comic Club beat up on uh, Hangman. So Kenny would take it, and he would charge at Moxley, but Moxley would get pulled out of the ring by Claudio, and you will see Claudio, Yuta, and uh, Moxley retreat into the crowd. So the elite are here. They're willing to go against Blackpool Combat Club, and we're now... Uh, having that situation at least fully underway. And I'm glad we're getting this. We just didn't see Brian here. He was probably home, probably resting up with his wife and kids and all that good stuff. Um, 
I want to know how it's going to feel when we see all four members of the elite in the ring, Hangman, Kenny, and the Bucks going against the Blackpool Comic Club. I think that's going to be a good match. It's never ever been a, it hasn't been um, scheduled yet, but we know it's coming. I just want to know what's going to happen in Blood and Guts, or are we going to get some type of big style match the way that we've gotten at double or nothing for the past years. First it was Stadium Stampede, and then it was uh, last year's Anarchy in the Arena. I know they're setting up for something for double or nothing. I just want to know, are we getting blood and guts there in that double or nothing, or are we going to get some type of big no disqualification, no holds bar style match like Anarchy Arena that we did got uh, last year with both of these teams? But time will tell because they still got some more uh, weeks to go for that. After this, we have Riho and Sky Blue going against uh, Ruby Soho and Tony Storm with Soraya in her corner. Tony and Ruby would win the match by pinfall with Tony hitting Sky with the Storm Zero for the win. First thing I want to say is congratulations to Sky Blue. It was announced over the weekend that Sky Blue is now signed to AEW. I felt that she should already was signed to AEW because she's been doing work for AEW for what? Almost a whole solid year, I feel. So for her to now be finally under AEW contract, that's still good. I just thought they already happened already, but congratulations to Sky Blue. Um, after the match, Soraya and the rest of the outcasts would continue to beat up on Riho and Sky until uh, they would tag Riho with their green L letter symbol, meaning loser. The outcasts would then hit Riho with a triple powerbomb, and then the AEW Women's Champion, Jamie Hayter, would run down to the ring, and she would get mauled. By the outcast. So now you have the outcast beating up on Jamie Hayter. Hayter would get saved by Britt Baker. Britt Baker would take out both uh, Tony Storm and Ruby Soho outside of the ring. And then when Britt gets into the ring, you see Britt and Soraya uh, battle out for each other in the ring. Britt would get Soraya down and she's looking to hit the curb stomp. But Ruby and Tony would pull Soraya out of the ring and they will walk up the ramp retreating. So the outcast is still having a problem with Britt Baker, Jamie Hayter. This problem is not going anywhere anytime soon. I just want to know what the end game is. Right now they're outnumbered. The outcasts are three to two. I wonder who their third person is going to be to team up with Hayter and uh Britt. It's probably gonna be someone that we haven't seen in a while. Because if Britt and Jamie pick a Willow Nightingale or a Sky Blue or someone else that we've seen get decimated by the outcast is just going to make that match not that important. But if they get someone that's a returning uh, member from their roster that hasn't been on TV in a minute, someone like a Chris Statlander, or maybe even a Thunder Rosa to come out to join them, or whoever may have you, is probably going to give the crowd something more to at least get involved in this rivalry involved in this match with these three ladies well these six ladies so time will tell with that i hope and they're going with that plan personally bring someone in that they haven't seen in a minute that's probably returning back but as i said time will tell with that now off to the main event chris jericho going against keith lee chris jericho will come down to the ring with daniel garcia chris jericho would win the match by pinfall by swerve interference when daniel garcia was arguing with the ref Swerve would hit Keith Lee with a box, then go into the crowd because Keith Lee and Swerve, they still have problems from their ending of their uh, tag team days, Swerve and their glory. Uh, this allowed Chris Jericho to pin Keith for the win. So Chris Jericho would win the match here. 
Uh, Chris Jericho will be celebrating in the middle of the ring with Dale Garcia. Then Adam Cole will come out after the match, and Adam Cole will come down to the ring, talk to Keith Lee to make sure he's okay, give him a fist pound, and then start walking up the ramp with Keith Lee. And you see Adam Cole start playing mind games with Chris Jericho because Adam Cole is pulling the same stunt that Chris Jericho did two weeks ago when Adam Cole beat Dale Garcia. Chris Jericho, two weeks ago, he came down to the ring. His music played. He took the uh, celebration away from Cole when he uh, talked to Dave Garcia and he made sure he's okay, walked up the ramp. He slightly turned his head to look at Adam Cole and then continued to walk up the ramp. And then he once he got up to the ramp stage, he slightly turned his head and looked at Cole again. And then he walked to the back. Adam Cole did the exact same thing. And you just see Jericho being pissed off and yelling that they need to play his music, not Adam Cole's. So we're starting to see some mind games with Adam Cole playing to Chris Jericho. I like that because Jericho's known for playing mind games with uh, his opposition. And Adam Cole, he's known for doing the exact same thing. So we know we're building up for Adam Cole going against Chris Jericho matchup here. We're building that up. I like it. Again, Chris Jericho, he's a safe bet because Adam Cole, he needs somebody to feud with right now. And Jericho, safe bet. So I'm good. We're going with that. But with that all being said, that is your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to Impact, and Impact will start off with Kenny King going against Kazarian, with Kenny King having Bully Ray, The Good Hands, and Masha Slamovich in his corner, while Kazarian will have Tommy Dreamer, Kelly Kelly, Bupinder Gujir, and Yuya Yumura in his corner. And the stipulation for this match is the winner of this match will get their respective team the advantage going into Hardcore War at Rebellion. Kenny King would win the match thanks to Brian Myers and Moose interference. When Brian would get on the ring apron and distract the referee, when Kaz had Kenny locked into the crossface uh, chicken wing and Kenny was tapping out, the referee didn't see this. Kaz would let go of King and look at Brian, and this would allow Moose to slide into the ring, hit Kazarian with a spear, and Kenny King would cover Kazarian for the win. Now, after the match, you would see the rest of Team Bully and Team Dreamer brawling the ring, but Team Dreamer would get mauled thanks to being outnumbered with Moose and Brian Myers joining Team Bully in the beatdown. So at Rebellion, we have Team Bully, which consists of Bully Ray, Kenny King, Moose, Brian Myers, and Masha Slamovich going against the team of Tommy Dreamer, Kelly Kelly, Bupinder Gujir, Yu Yu Yumura, and Kazarian. And I think this is just basically going to be a big old hardcore match between both teams. They didn't really specify what Hardcore War is. They didn't know if it was going to be a lockdown. They didn't say nothing like that. But I just think it's going to be nothing but like hardcore uh, weapons being around. And they're just basically going to just let everything hang out with all these uh, contestants. So that's what I expect to happen at Rebellion. Now, the next matchup was Black Taurus going against Lince Dorado, going against Laredo Kid, going against Rich Swan in a Fatal 4-Way match. Laredo Kid would win the match by pinfall by hitting a Spanish fly on Black Taurus for the win. And I'm saying this right now, Impact Wrestling better have a contract with Black Taurus. I'm just going to be blown with you. Black Taurus does a lot of his business with Impact Wrestling, and I know he's probably signed the AAA. But I feel that if Black Taurus ever does decide, well, decide to like not go to Impact anymore, I can see him really showing up on uh, AEW. Because his style works a lot well with like the Lucha Brothers and a lot of the other styles that you see in AEW. And I think that if Black Tarus ever does show up in AEW, I think Tony Khan will try to give him a contract just off rip 
because Blanton Roos, he moves quick. He's able to have that power game. I mean, he is the true definition of what a big man is in the year of 2023 right now. So for me, I think Blanton Roos needs to sign a deal with Impact Wrestling or I think Impact needs to hurry up and try to get him a deal. Because if not, I really do think Blanton Roos might be going over to AEW whenever that time might be allowed for him to actually just show up there. But again... Blantaru's always been that guy. He just haven't gotten that uh the championship run that he needs in Impact Wrestling. I feel that he needs some type of championship reign in his time in Impact, whether it be the X Division or the Tag Team uh, Championship with uh, Crazy Steve. I don't care what title it is. I feel that Blantaru's needs to have a title in Impact Wrestling because he is just that freaking unbelievable. Now after this, we had Jessica with Rosemary in her corner going against Taylor Wilde with Kylie King with her corner. Uh, Taylor Wilde would win the match by pinfall thanks to Kylie King interference when Jessica will have Taylor set up for the sick driver. Kylie will get on this uh, ring apron. Rosemary would get on the ring apron and try to spear Kylie, but Kylie would knee uh, Rosemary in the face and drop her. Jessica will shoulder block Kylie King off the apron, and this will allow Taylor Wilde to take the opportunity to kick Jessica in her knee. Then finish her off with a spinning fisherman neckbreaker for the win. After this, we had a tag team matchup of Dirty Dango and Joe Hendry going against Angels and Callahan with Khan and Diener in their corner. Joe Hendry and Dango would win the match by pinfall thanks to conflict between Callahan and Diener when Callahan would accidentally clothesline Angels when Hendry ducked. So you see Angels uh, grabbing Hendry up, holding him in position for Callahan to clothesline him. Hendry would duck, Callahan would hit Angels. Diener would yell at uh, Callahan saying that wasn't the plan. So as these two were fussing and arguing with each other, Hendry would hit the standing ovation, which is a one-hand spine buster on Angels for the win. And this would give Dango and Hendry the win. Now, after the match, Khan would get in the ring and attack Dango and Hendry from behind. Diener, Callahan, and Angels would join in on the beatdown. Then you'll see Santino Morella run down to the ring to help out Hendry and Dango, and they would eliminate Khan uh, Callahan and Diener out of the ring, leaving Angels all alone, and he would get hit with the Cobra Strike from Santino. So this is setting up their rebellion matchup of the six-man tag of Dirty Dango, Joe Hendry, and Santino Morella going against the Design, uh, Khan, Callahan, and Diener at Rebellion. And this still adds on to the conflict of is Khan and Diener going to play nice with Callahan or are they falling into Callahan's uh, quote-unquote trick or his believability of trying to join in the design? That is still something that Khan, Diener, and Angels have to worry about with Callahan as they go into rebellion here for their six-man tag. Now, after this, we have Giselle Shaw with Jay Vidal and Savannah Evans in her corner going against Tasha Steeles. Tasha would win the match by pinfall when Tasha would be down by the steel steps. Giselle would expose her knee and run towards uh, Tasha. Tasha would move out of the way, and Giselle's knee would hit the steel steps hard. This would allow Tasha to throw Giselle back into the ring and kick Giselle in her knee, then roll her up for the win. Now, the final segment that we have on Impact is Mickey James. She would come down to the ring, and she would say that she has gotten word from her doctor and he has told her that she is not medically cleared to compete at Rebellion to defend her knockouts championship against um, Deanna Peraza and Jordan Grace. So Mickey would say that she is a woman of her word and she's 
would leave the Knockouts Championship in the ring as a way to forfeit it, and she would drop her hat by the championship to indicate that she's retiring. That's what wrestlers do. They at least drop a piece of uh, their clothing right next to or something in the ring as a symbolism of them retiring. So this is Mickey James basically retiring here. Um, so Jordan Grace will be going against Deanna Peraza in a one-on-one competition matchup at Rebellion for the Nightgowns Championship. And that's how Impact will end. Do I think Mickey James is going to officially retire? No, I think they're going to give her some type of retirement deal in front of the crowd. She was able to drop the title off in the ring with no crowd, no nothing, but just a spotlight on her. I don't think that's the proper way to send Mickey James off me personally. So I see her probably like popping up like during the match or after the match between uh, Jordan Grace and Deanna Perrazzo somewhere in there, probably turning heel. Maybe I would like to see that, but if not, and this was Mickey James literally just going out on a retirement situation right here. I'll say, okay, that was her way that she wanted to do it, fine. And I respect her wishes. I respect Impact's way of handling it. But we'll have to see you by the time Rebellion happens. So with that, that was your Impact Wrestling, Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to SmackDown. And something to note, off of SmackDown this week, they would say that the draft begins in two weeks. So the draft will start on SmackDown in two weeks, and then it will finish up on Monday Night Raw. So this episode, we're starting to see people talk about the draft. Um, because we would open up the show with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, and they would talk about how right now there is a time of uncertainty with the upcoming draft approaching. Kevin Owens would reaffirm everyone that it doesn't matter where they go because they are the undisputed champions, and they will defend those championships everywhere with everything that they got and say that they know the Usos are coming to look for their rematch. And once you say the Usos' name, you know what time it is. The Usos and Solo Sokoa will come out. The Usos will talk about being champions for two years, while Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn have been champions for, what, two weeks? And they don't know anything about pressure. The Usos would reaffirm how they will be nine-time tag team champions and that there are no cracks in the bloodline. Then Jay would talk about how when Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn loses the championships, it won't be Kevin Owens turning his back on Sami. It will be Sami turning his back on Kevin Owens the same way that he did the bloodline. Sammy would tell Jay that he could continue to act like he didn't feel Roman being upset with them losing their tag team championships and how the fact that Solo was so close to dropping him last week. But that didn't happen. This will lead to the Usos and Solo surrounding the ring. Matt Riddle would race down and take down Solo Sokoa. And then you have the Usos fighting with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. You will see the bloodline having to retreat to the back as Sami... Kevin Owens and Riddle man the ring, and it would be announced by Adam Pearce that in the main event of SmackDown, it would be Matt Riddle going against Solo Sokoa. Now, the first match of the night would be Xavier Woods going against LA Knight. Xavier would win the match by pinfall. When Knight had Xavier rolled up in a pin and he grabbed Xavier's tights, the ref would see it and not make the count. Knight would tell the ref to make the count, and he would start getting closer to the ref. This would allow Xavier Woods to get LA Knight in a roll-up, and as the referee was counting the pin for Xavier, Xavier would hold on to the tights of LA Knight, and he would win the match. So Xavier Woods has won the match the exact same way LA Knight tried to use his pinfall to win the match up here, but it didn't work for Knight, it worked for Xavier here. Now, after the match, Xavier would go backstage and interrupt a meeting that Imperium was having, and stake a claim in wanting to face Gunther for the Intercontinental Championship. 
before the draft happens because Xavier says he's going to be the most eligible free agent in the next upcoming two weeks. So as I said, they're starting to prepare everybody to get their stocks built up for the WWE draft that's happening. Now, after this, we will have Damian Priest, Rhea Ripley, and Dominic Mysterio will come down to the ring. Damian will talk about Bad Bunny and Backlash, and he will warn Bad Bunny to just be front row and to watch the show and tell him to keep his hands off the Judgment Day and not to touch them, or he might end up the exact same predicament that he was two weeks ago with Damian Priest chokeslamming Bad Bunny through the commentary table. Now, the Legato del Fantasma or the LWO will come out, and Santos, Cruz, and Wild will sneak attack Dom and Damian from behind, leading to a match between Santos Escobar and Damian Priest with their respective factions in their corners. Damian would win the match by pinfall, thanks to chaos around the ring, when Cruz and Wild would beat up on Dominic. Damian would leave the ring and send Cruz and Wild over the Timeskeeper area. Santos would hit a suicide dive on uh, Damian, and then Santos would throw Damian back into the ring, and when Santos got in the ring himself, Rio would grab his leg. This would allow Damian to hit Santos with a cyclone kick, and then finish Santos off with a South of Heaven chokeslam for the win. Now, after the match, Damian would throw Santos out of the ring, and he would look to smash Santos through the commentary table, but Rey Mysterio's music would hit, and Rey would ambush Damian from the crowd. So Rey would then get in the ring, look at his son Dominic, and now you see both Dom and Ray start throwing hands with each other. Ray would get better of the exchange, and then he would send Dom into the ropes and have Dom in position for Ray to hit 619. But Ray was not able to hit it because Damian and Rhea would pull Dominic out of the ring, and you will see the Judgment Day retreat up the ramp. So this thing between the Legato de Fantasma, Ray Mysterio, the LWO, and the Judgment Day, this thing is still ongoing. Now, after this, we had the new women's tag champions, Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez, coming down to the ring to celebrate their uh, win as tag champions. Then you have the <laughs> the haters come out. Sonya Deville and Chelsea Green come out to hate on their celebration, questioning how Trish can replace Lita, and that would count in a match, and they wouldn't understand it. So then you will see Sonya and Chelsea complain about Adam Pearce being incompetent at his job. Then Liv will let Sonya and Chelsea know that they are going to be their first challengers as tag champions. So this will lead to Liv and Raquel attacking both Sonya and Chelsea. Now Raquel would make quick work of Chelsea and send her out of the ring. And when Liv had Sonya set up to hit Oblivion, Chelsea would pull Sonya out of the ring. So... That match was made official. We don't know when it's going to happen, but you know that um, Chelsea Green and Sonya Deville are the first challengers for the new SmackDown, well, the new women's champions, uh, Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez. Now, after this, we had the in-ring debut, or re-debut, might I say, or return, whatever you want to call it, of Shinsuke Nakamura going against Madcap Moss with Emma in his corner. Nakamura would win the match by pinfall by hitting Madcap Moss with the Kinshasa for the win. After the match, Madcap would try to sucker punch Nakamura, but Nakamura will be able to reverse it into a rolling arm bar, and then he will let go of it, and you will see Madcap roll out of the ring. He feels embarrassed because he needed this win, because right now he's not doing nothing at the moment. And Nakamura, he's back. It's good to have Nakamura back here. He's been missed on SmackDown. I swear to God, I thought I was going to hear... 
uh, Rick Boogs back with Nakamura because I promise you, knock with Rick Boogs, that thing was magical. There was a reason why those two were placed together. I don't care what anybody says. Rick Boogs should be back with Nakamura. I think that made Nakamura's entrance more hyped. I'm just glad to have Nak back here. Also, Karrion Cross is going after Nakamura because after we see Nak uh, celebrating in the ring, we will see Scarlet messing with tarot cards and she will turn one card over and it will have Nakamura on it and you will see Karrion Cross bang his well, fist on the table. So that tells you that Karrion Cross is hunting Shinsuke Nakamura now. Also, something to note, Madcap Moss and Baron Corbin, they should just go back to teaming together because right now both of them are doing absolutely nothing. And personally, I think Madcap and Corbin, I think they'll be a good tag team again because, again, they need tag teams now. They need to do something with both of these individuals. Hell, even send them back to NXT to have them do something for the time being. But for right now, they need something for both Baron Corbin and Madcap. And if you have nothing to do with those two, Put them back together and allow them just to run rough shot either on the main roster or go down to NXT and allow them just to have fun down there in NXT to uh, rejuvenate the creativity. Now, off to the main event. Matt Riddle with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn in his corner going against Souls Cole who had the Usos in his corner. But before the match did begin, Paul Heyman will let everyone know that in two weeks on SmackDown, so basically the night of the draft, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn will be defending their tag team championships against the Usos. Paul will say there is a guarantee that Kevin Owens and Sami will lose their championships because Roman is starting to lose his patience with the two of them. And it's interesting to note that when he said the two of them, he will point at Sami and Kevin, but Paul was behind the Usos and the Usos didn't notice that when Paul said this, he was staring right at the Usos. So... This is showing you that Roman's starting to get tired and Paul is being his mouthpiece, as he has been. But Roman is starting to get tired of the Usos not having gold and the bloodline not having gold around their waist. So we're going to see in two weeks what's going to happen. Is the Usos going to get basically terrorized and beat up by Roman and more than likely Solo if they don't win the tag titles? Or will they win the tag team titles back from Kevin Owens and Sammy? But we'll have to wait and find out in the next two weeks. Now off to the match. Solo would win the match by pinfall thanks to the chaos around the ring. When the Usos and Kevin Owens and Sammy will be fighting around the ring, Riddle will hit the Usos with a floating bro. Then Riddle will go up to the top rope and then jump towards Solo, but Solo would catch Riddle with a super kick in the gut. And then you will see Solo finish Riddle off with a Samoan spike. So Solo brings a win to the bloodline. Now, after the match, Solo would hit Riddle with a spinning Solo on top of the commentary table, and then Solo would flip the commentary table on Riddle. Kevin Owens and Sammy would run over to Riddle and turn the table off of Riddle and look after him as the Usos and Solo look at them from inside the ring. So SmackDown ended with the Bloodline standing on top with their challengers or their ops on the outside of the ring just looking in fear. So, Bloodline, we got to wait and see what's going to happen. Again, we got two weeks to figure out the tag title situation. Is the Usos going to retain the titles or they're going to get beat down by Solo and Roman that night? There's only one or the two is going to happen. So, we'll have to wait and see with that. But with that, that is your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week.
Now off to AEW Rampage. First thing to note, also, that happened on Rampage, they would announce that next week's Rampage will be airing on Saturday night at 10 p.m., so next week's episode of Wrestling Highlights of the Week will not have AEW Rampage on it. Now, the first match that we're having on Rampage is the IWGP Tag Team Championship match. The champions, Ozzy Open, going against the best friends. Ozzy Open will retain their championships by pinfall by hitting a double wheelbarrow suplex on Chuck Taylor for the win. Now, after this, we have Tony Schiavone interviewing the new AEW Tag Team Champions, FTR. FTR would be in the ring. Cash would mention that it took them two years and five months to regain the AEW Tag Team title since they lost them. Then FTR would announce that they had re-signed with AEW for four years, and that once those four years are over, they are officially done with pro wrestling, but in those time being, they will give everything they got to the fans because they love professional wrestling. So FTR lets everybody know their fate. I'm glad that FTR re-signed with AEW, and again, I do want to say before uh, this episode is over with, there is something that... FTR kind of wants to have in place in planning these next four years, but I'll mention that before this episode's over with. Trust me. Um, after this, we have the eight-man tag match of Jeff Jarrett, Jay Lethal, Mark Briscoe, and Sodom Singh going against Jake Manning, Luther, Angelico, and Serpentico. Mark Briscoe would get the win for his team when Sodom would chokeslime Jake Manning. Then Mark would tag himself in, and he would hit the froggy bow for the win. So, Mark Briscoe's here with Jake, uh, Jay Lethal, Jeff Jarrett, Sodnam. He wasn't really cool with this uh, team at first, and he's still not cool with them because uh, originally Mark Briscoe was only supposed to be cool with Jay Lethal because this happened at Ring of Honor, I believe, at um, the Supercard of Honor event where Jay is trying to cheer up Mark Briscoe because he lost to Samoa Joe, but Mark did not know that. Uh, Jay would come with the baggage of Jeff Jarrett, Saddam Singh, and Sanjay Dutt. So we had basically Mark Briscoe like trying to fight off his own team, trying to do things his way. So you can see in the next probably upcoming weeks, that's probably going to be a situation where Mark Briscoe is trying to uh, be his own man again because he did not want the help of Jeff Jarrett and Saddam and Sanjay. He just thought that he was getting help from a friend of Jay Lethal, but... That's not what happened here. So we got to wait and see as time goes what they're going to do with Mark Briscoe and the rest of uh, Jay Lethal's uh, crew. Now, after this, we will have Taya Valkyrie going against Emi Sakura. Taya Valkyrie would win the match by pinfall when Taya would hit the road of Valhalla for the win. You have Jay Cargill and Layla Gray watching the match from the stage. Now, after the match, Layla Gray would get in the ring and try to attack Taya, but Taya would catch... Layla Gray, and nail Layla with the Road of Valhalla. Now you have Jade Cargill get in the ring, and we finally have Jade and Taya actually square off in the middle of the ring, face-to-face, and they start throwing hands with one another. Taya would get the better of the exchange, and then look to hit Jade with the Road of Valhalla, but Layla Gray would chop block Taya behind her leg, and this will allow Jade to hit Taya with the pump kick, and then hit Jade to lay uh, Taya Valkyrie out. So, again, we're still on this whole situation of Taya wanted the TBS championship, but she's also using the road of Valhalla. Jade feels disrespected because she's been using that move and calling it Jaded since she's debuted in uh, AEW. And right now it's just a situation of who hits that finisher better than the other. So we haven't gotten any type of word on when that match is going to happen between the two ladies. 
I feel that it's continuously building us up for double or nothing. So I think that's when it's going to happen. If it doesn't happen, then I don't know when it's going to happen, to be honest with you. But I think it's going to happen at double or nothing. Now, the next thing that will happen will be 2.0 and Jake Hager. They would come to the ring and they would try to freestyle like the Acclaim, basically mocking it. And it was atrocious. The Acclaim and Billy Gunn will come out running to the ring and brawl with 2.0 and Jake Hager. The Acclaim would get better of the brawl. And since 2.0 and Jake Hager were trading up the ramp, the Acclaim would challenge them to a six-man tag on Dynamite. So that match gets made official. Now, off to the main event. We will have Jungle Boy going against the returning Sean Spears. Jungle Boy would win the match by pinfall when Sean Spears was trying to get him in a pinning maneuver. But Jungle Boy would reverse it and he would get Sean Spears in his own pinning maneuver to win said match. Now Jungle Boy has another win under his belt and they would make it known on commentary that Darby Allen, Sammy Guevara, and Jungle Boy both have two wins apiece since they have made their claims uh, be known that they want that AEW World Heavyweight Championship. So they're starting to say that those three guys are the number one contenders and we're going to get a Fatal 4-Way match. Again, we don't know when it's going to happen, but we know it's coming. So they're just making it prevalent and known to the audience who haven't been keeping up with the product. MJF is going to be defending that uh, AEW World Heavyweight Championship. It's going to happen. Just We just don't know when that uh, moment is going to happen. More than likely, again, it's going to happen at uh, Double or Nothing. So continue to wait along until they actually make that announcement. But with that, that is your AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, before I get you guys out of here, I want to talk about CM Punk. And yes, CM Punk. It has been uh, reported by Dax Harwood. You know, the same Dax Harwood that is in AEW, who's the uh, tag team champions. He spoke on his podcast how CM Punk wants to come back to professional wrestling. And I'll read this off right here of what Dax Harwood said on the said podcast. I will say this. The reason I'm fantasy booking that CM Punk and FTR versus the Elite is because outside of Roman, and you could please correct me if I'm wrong, outside of Roman Reigns, and maybe this is not including like Brock Lesnar or Logan Paul or whatever, but outside of Roman Reigns and maybe even Cody Rhodes, the biggest name in professional wrestling right now is CM Punk, right? Definitely the biggest name in AEW, Harwood said. So if we want to take AEW to the next level, and we're here to work for AEW, we're here to make professional wrestling better because of AEW. The way you do that is you take the biggest star that you have and one of the biggest stars in the world and you put them on the card and you make money with them. He continued. Also, on top of that, on top of saying that, I talk to Punk almost every day and Punk misses wrestling. That's your headline. Punk misses wrestling and Punk wants to come back. And he wants to give the fans, he wants to give back to wrestling. So I'll leave it at that. So from Dax Harwood's mouth, the guy who talks to CM Punk, the guy who keeps on posting on Twitter and Instagram about his love for professional wrestling and his friendships in professional wrestling, Exhibit A with CM Punk, Exhibit B with Bret Hart, Exhibit C with his uh, buddy Cash Wheeler. He really loves professional wrestling. He loves the people that he actually talks to in professional wrestling. He needs Freely talking about it, just freely on Twitter, Instagram, his podcast. He does all these type of things. And for him to throw out that nugget of information of saying that CM Punk wants to come back, he wants to uh, give back to the fans, he wants to give back to wrestling, that tells you something. CM Punk wants to come back because that's just what it is. 
Punk has been laying dormant, silent for all this time, except for whenever he actually posts up stuff on Instagram, well, the Instagram stories like he did a couple weeks ago about the whole John Moxley thing and all that type of stuff. Punk has been staying silent, and we have this nugget of information from Dax Harwood, and now with that being said, that Punk wants to come back, and the idea of floating CM Punk and FTR going against the Elite at Wembley uh, Stadium at All In, it would make business sense, and AEW is a new business. Once CM Punk did get signed to AEW, it did make all the media rounds from people in ESPN to, the, uh, I believe, the Wall Street Journal, uh, New York Times. I mean, it made news in the sports category and all that type of stuff. It made news because CM Punk was a figure that was literally out of professional wrestling for so long. Almost legitimately, what, a decade. He was out, what, 2014 to 2021, 2021, he made his return back to professional wrestling. So he was out for seven years, seven years. And you mean to tell me that now with Punk having this skirmish with the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega at All Out, and we get it, all four guys did wrong, Kenny and the Bucks, they're back now in AEW. We're now just waiting on Punk, if Punk's going to be welcome back or not. You mean to tell me that you guys can't figure out a way to conduct business between yourselves? If you guys want to make AEW the biggest company in the world, or at least not the biggest company, but actually able to have the wrestlers that's out there and the independents that might not get the opportunity to go to WWE, have them go to AEW and say, hey, this is a great company. This is the company that we fell in love with in 2019 and in 2020 when the pandemic was happening. This is the exact same company with that. You guys mean to tell me that you don't want to bring CM Punk back? It doesn't make great business sense. CM Punk coming back would do great for AEW, and I have a feeling that people are wondering, okay, what about the backstage stuff? What about the elite? What about the other people that are backstage that might not like CM Punk? Well, guess what? You have a job. You do your job, and that's all you do. There are people out here working 9 to 5 right now that don't like their employees they don't like their co-workers but guess what they still get the job done wrestling only has you guys literally competing or working with each other in a ring for uh for an allotted amount of time and you mean to tell me you guys can't work for that allotted amount of time and get the hell out of that ring and just be separated from one another Literally, that's all you got to do. You guys talk about the match. Okay, cool. Blah, blah, blah. Here's what you be doing. Da, da, da. Okay, good. We get out there. We do what we do. We conduct business as professionals. And if we get the hell out of that ring, you don't speak to me. I don't speak to you. We're good. We're good. If you mean to tell me that Sean and Brett, the two most destructive, I'm not even saying destructive, but that rivalry will always be known as a destructive rivalry, can do business, why can't CM Punk, FTR, and the Elite? If you mean to tell me Matt Hardy and Edge, that rivalry, which was literally nothing but a ticking time bomb, when you really stop to bring break down all the elements of professional wrestling in the per in the personal stuff that happened with Matt Hardy, Lita, and Edge, if Matt and Edge were able to conduct business, why in the hell can CM Punk and the Elite not conduct business? I don't care who you are. That's extremely childish to me. This is a business. You guys are professionals. Do your freaking job to make that company where you guys want it to be. Don't be selfish. So, with that being said, I hope CM Punk is able to get back into the door of AEW. I hope people are in that business and are in that company could 
ingratiate themselves with CM Punk. Hey, if you don't like the man, you don't have to be around him. If you're not working a program with him, you guess what? You don't be around CM Punk if you don't like him. And if you like CM Punk, hang around CM Punk. That's all you got to do. It's easy. People make things way harder than what it actually is. But that's, again, that's just my two cents on the matter. But from the words of Dax Harwood, CM Punk wants to come back to professional wrestling. And I hope he's actually able to give him that uh, opportunity to go back to AEW and have AEW make money off the back of CM Punk. And CM Punk make the money off the back of AEW. Again, a business works in two ways, and that's how this business works. So, with that all being said, this has been your Wrestling Highlights of the Week. I hope you guys have a great Saturday. Please be kind and courteous to everyone that you know, because you have no idea what that person is dealing with. And just say a prayer for everybody before you leave your home, or if you don't leave your home, just still say a prayer as soon as you get up, or before you go to sleep at night. So, with that all being said, also, I have a Sunday episode coming out tomorrow. And also have a Wednesday episode of Midweek uh, Breakdown. If you didn't hear from this past week's episode, it's about the Dalai Lama and his nastiness. You can listen back to that. But with all that being said, uh, I hope you guys have a great Saturday. I love you all. I thank you. This has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by Buy Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. He is I. I am him. I love you all. And Kanye, could you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.